Welcome to the Food Therapy Podcast, where we talk honestly and openly about mental health, diet culture, BS, and food freedom. We're your co-hosts. I'm Brittany Modell, owner of Brittany Modell Nutrition and Wellness. And I'm Lauren Sharp, owner of Empower Method Nutrition. We are food freedom registered dietitians who have struggled with mental health, poor body image, and disordered eating behaviors. We are on a mission to dismantle diet culture, normalize conversations around mental health, and empower you as you heal your relationship with food and your body. Let's get talking. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Food Therapy. Lauren and I, we both have pretty low energy today, so please bear with us. Um, We still want us to show up for you guys, put out some content, but just know that for whatever reason, our energy levels are a little low today. So tired. Really tired. (laughs) So I wanted to talk about and Lauren, you know, it sounds like this has been coming up a lot in, with your clients as well, but this idea of habituation. So habituation is the diminishing of a like physiological or emotional response to frequently repeated stimuli. And what this means, essentially, if we were to just put it into non-psychological terms, Essentially, with habituation, once you habituate to certain foods, for example, they lose its appeal. And so with repeated exposure to certain foods, they stop becoming as exciting. So I wanted to give an example that I often use with clients. But if you can think about Thanksgiving dinner, the first night of Thanksgiving, you're excited. You haven't had this food maybe in a few months, maybe since last Thanksgiving, the stuffing, the mashed sweet potato pie. And there's such excitement. Fast forward four or five days later, when you're on day four or five of leftovers, it really loses the excitement. It is not as stimulating as it might've been on that first night of Thanksgiving. And this essentially happens with all foods. Most times when clients come to me, they say like, I feel out of control around certain foods, but they don't often give themselves a space to fully habituate to certain foods. So they might bring ice cream into the, into the household, binge it, eat it in two days, and then not bring it again for another six months. And the same thing happens. What we really want is to have food around if you are able to financially and give yourself permission to eat that food so you can fully habituate. Yes. And it's such a, it's so crazy that we don't hear about this. Like, I feel like it's never explained. And when I heard about it, I was like, oh my gosh, that makes so much sense. Like your Thanksgiving example makes so much sense. And I've experienced this so much in my journey where my favorite story was when, you know, those little Pillsbury cookies that come out every holiday with like the different designs on them. Those were like my favorite, favorite thing. And, uh, and there is kind of that aspect of habituation in there because they're only available at certain holidays. So, you know, the first night I have them, the second night I have them, they're amazing. And then I'm like, sorry, I'm really that good. Why did I like them so much? And there's that added layer of like, when I wouldn't even allow myself to have them, I really was like obsessed with them. And then I allowed myself to have them. I'm like, why? these are fine. I mean, they're good. I like them, but, uh, just not as much as like I was obsessing over them before. So 
habituation is very real. And that's why one of the principles of, I mean, this isn't a principle, but one of the things that I think Brittany and I both teach is that unconditional permission to eat, right? Like I have unconditional permission to go have a cookie right now, if that's what I want, or have a salad, if that's what I want. But if you don't give yourself that unconditional permission, you're not going to kind of like get that habituation out of your system and you're just constantly going to continue to feel out of control around those foods. hundred percent. And I think what tends to happen is people are afraid to keep certain foods in the house. They're afraid to lose control around those foods because that is what their past history has told them. Mm -hmm. So for most people, when I bring up habituation, they're like, well, that sounds great, but that's not going to work for me because Mm -hmm. I've tried this before. Mm -hmm. But what I've noticed is the trial period is quite short. Mm -hmm. And what we want to do is extend that trial period so you can actually habituate to the foods versus having a jar of peanut butter for two days in the house or ice cream in the house for two days, Mm -hmm. feel out of control, and then not bring them back into the house for another six months. Yes, exactly. And another definition of it um, that I think can help you better understand is growing accustomed to a situation or stimuli, right? So you're kind of getting accustomed to the taste of the food. And it's also similar to, um, you know, obviously the components of the food and whatnot make a difference, but something like sugar, if you're not allowing it, it's not only habituation that's working against you because you're not habituating it, but it's also the, if you're not adding, um, like sugar and and sugary foods into your diet, then your, um, when you do have them, the spike of dopamine is actually higher. So you genuinely feel addicted to it, right? So it's habituation working against you because you're not habituating. And then on top of that, you're getting additional dopamine. And this is specific to more like carb or sugary foods. Um, So then you really do feel addicted to it. And I think we've both been there where I'm just like, why am I so addicted to sugar? Why do I love food so much? I don't understand those people who like forget to eat. I don't understand those people who, you know, just aren't foodies. And it wasn't even about that. I'm still a foodie, but I don't feel nearly as obsessed with food as I used to. Right. I, so there was a story. This was, yeah. So I was in college. And it was during my like extremely disordered period. I eliminated a lot of foods. I'm not going to get into what they were because I don't think it's important, but let's just say that I restricted a lot and I did not have many sweets for a long period of time, months. So I get to my parents' breakfast and there was like a dessert room. When I tell you that I had probably one of the worst binges of my entire life. I felt physically ill for three days, three to four days. But the moment I saw the dessert, because I haven't had access to them, my brain and my body just went like nuts. I took one bite and all of a sudden I was eating like every single dessert that was out there Mm -hmm. and I wasn't even tasting it, right? I was just eating it because I'm like, oh my God, I finally have access to it. And this happens a lot too. And another example that I want to bring up is when a child is in a house that is quote unquote, really healthy, Mm -hmm. no sweets, no Oreos, no cookies. And then all of a sudden they go to a friend's house where their pantry is like stocked. Usually the kids go nuts, like, and they make themselves sick, but not intentionally, but they eat everything in sight. 
And I remember growing up and I'm like, well, how can my friends have all of this food around and they don't even seem Mm -hmm. remotely phased? Mm -hmm. And it comes down to habituation. When you have all that food around all the time, it really does lose its interest and its appeal versus if you have never have access to those foods. The moment they come into your view, it's like, forget about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's such a like complicated topic of what to do with kids in terms of food. Do you put the M&Ms on the plate with their dinner? Do you, you know, what do you do? I mean, there's, and there's so many different theories. So actually, if you're interested in hearing more about that, we did have an episode um, with a dietitian who specializes in anti-diet nutrition for kids. Mm -hmm. I also, and I, I probably recommended this book to you 30 people by now. And you would think that I'm like getting a cup, like a, I'm like a sponsor. Yeah. (laughs) Um, but it's called how to raise. Oh yeah. An intuitive eater. Yeah. And it is a really fantastic resource. And they talk about what happens when kids do ask for certain foods. The most important thing is to really neutralize. And I think the reason why people put a cupcake onto the dinner plate is, you know, we want to neutralize these foods. If we say like, you can only eat the cupcake if you finish your broccoli right there. And then you're putting one food on a pedestal and the other one is considered this health food. Mm-hmm. But we'll get back to you in like five to 10 years when Laura and I have kids and, and tell you how that process is going. That literally overwhelms me so much because yeah. I don't even have time to read my own self-help books. So how the hell am I supposed to read help and parenting books? So I'm actually reading How to Raise an Intuitive Eater with a group of dietitians. Oh. And I thought that by having a book club, I would actually be forced to finish some of these books. And every time book club's about to start, I find myself like, manically looking through the book to have things to talk about, but it is a really great read and I highly, highly recommend. Okay. I need to maybe join your group because I definitely join. (laughs) I mean, I have like 50, I'm not even kidding. I think I probably between like intuitive eating, body image work, acceptance, commitment therapy, CBT, I probably have like 50 books that I've purchased in the last five years that I still have to read. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I get super excited when I get a new book yeah. and I like start it and I like go full throttle. And then I'm like, uh, this isn't, you know, exciting anymore. So yeah. I move on to the next thing. And then I'm like, no, Lauren, you need to finish this. Yes. Yes. So if someone's listening to this and they're asking, well, how am I supposed to habituate to food when I'm just really terrified to have them in the house. Mm-hmm. What would you say is kind of like that next step to begin the process of habituation? Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of times in intuitive eating that we kind of have to just be uncomfortable. There's not really much to do about that fear other than just sit in the fear and understand that it's going to be uncomfortable. And a lot of times my clients, when I tell them, it's okay for it to be uncomfortable. It's supposed to feel that way. They find peace in that. And they're like, okay, it's supposed to be a roller coaster. I'm not doing anything wrong, especially with like type A perfectionistic. You're very much so like, what am I doing wrong? Why doesn't this feel right? Um, So I think acknowledging that it's going to be uncomfortable and it's okay. And then just choosing one food, like what's a food that you typically 
restrict or don't allow in the house. Um, I remember when I was younger, I was like, oh, I can't wait to like have kids and be like the healthy mom. And, you know, we don't have any chips in the house. But, like I prided myself on it so much, which yeah. is so I mean, wild. It was your identity. Yeah, exactly. So now I'm like, oh God, I'm going to have all the things in my house. Um, so all the kids in the quote unquote healthy households will come to my house and they'll be like, yes. oh my God, you have so many traits. Right. Um, and, and hopefully you send the message to parents. Yeah. You know, especially being in this space as a dietitian, like, yeah, it is normal. And in fact, we encourage you to keep food, obviously, as long as it's financially possible, mm-hmm. as much food as you can around. I, so going along with, I literally exactly what you said, um, trying one food at a time. I think what ends up happening is when people start intuitive eating on their own through like the Instagram version, they're trying to give themselves permission to eat every single food mm-hmm. that they've ever like put off limits. Yep. And not only does that feel like terrifying, but it also then creates this, um, almost like this storyline, like, well, see, it doesn't work. Like intuitive eating doesn't work for me. I tried and I failed. Yep. I completely agree with you. If we can try one food at a time, like make a list of fear foods, make a list of foods that you feel out of control around and work your way through to habituate each one, one by one. So if it's ice cream, can you keep the same ice cream in your house for a few weeks? Mm -hmm. If it's peanut butter, if it is Oreo cookies, one of my clients was like, I could never keep Oreo cookies in the house. Voila, Oreos have like sat in her pantry and they're now stale. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's so important to give yourself space. And as Lauren said, to allow for discomfort to happen. Because I think, you know, especially as people who are perfectionists, like no one wants to feel discomfort. And the moment discomfort happens, it's like, I must be doing something wrong. When that's part of the process. It's part of growing and learning. Yeah. And another way that you can, like we said, you're going to be uncomfortable, but to kind of uh, lessen the blow a little bit, you can, when you make that list of the foods, start with the one that's least scary. And then when you tackle it, you're like, oh, okay. So I can have the piece of bread and everything's going to be okay. Let's move on to the next one. Right. Yes. And like Brittany said, it, it, if you do everything at once, it's going to feel very overwhelming. You're going to be like, this doesn't work, but you know, um, so taking it slow and, and some people are, you know, successful with that quote unquote, all in approach. It really just depends on your personality and what you need in that moment. But that's what individual coaching can help you with rather than not understanding what the heck you're supposed yes. to do. And kind of back to one thought that I was, I was thinking about with, uh, parents and bringing certain foods into the house. It just drives me nuts when I see things that are like, oh, well, these types of foods that were packaged didn't exist 70 years ago and neither did 70 of these diseases. And I'm like, okay, first of all, that's a whole other topic in terms of science and research and whatnot. But what pisses me off is like, this is our reality. Like these foods aren't just going to go away. So you trying to restrict them doesn't get rid of them on this planet. Like live in your reality, live with what we have, enjoy the things that are meant to be enjoyed. Like it's, that just. And also like, how lucky are we that there are convenient foods? Yeah. You don't have to like go out and kill like a moose or like a, 
like a cow or whatever it was and like go and gather your grains. Like there is a reason that we have progressed in our society. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, yeah, I I fully agree with you. I, I never understand when people like try and compare what we have now to like what we had then, because it's like, we also had like horse and buggies back then. Like, should we not drive cars? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Like cars didn't exist like 300 years ago. Should we just like all give up our car? So it, it, (laughs) <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make uh, any sense. And uh, like, it, did COVID come about because of the way we eat? No. Like, it literally. <laughs> that come from? Yeah, it just, yeah, it just makes no sense to right. like, it, it all feeds back into like sugar feeds cancer and blah, 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 blah. And everybody loves to blame food. Um, and this is like even an, another example of like when I was in undergrad for nutrition. And I truly believed that, which a great book, if you are somebody that kind of ties to food being like the solution for everything, um, it's called food isn't medicine by Joshua Woolrich. He's a physician in the UK. Um, and he basically takes everything that you're probably thinking of like carbs, make you fat, sugar feeds, cancer, fat creates, you know, a high cholesterol, blah, blah, blah. And he like debunks everything with actual research. So that's a really, see, now I'm going to have to add another book. (gasps) Oh, you don't have that one. Well, next time you visit, you can just, yeah. Um, cause it's really good, but it's good to also just refer to if clients are having a certain thought, I'm like, all right, let's look up the research. So I don't have to like actually go on PubMed myself because I hate PubMed. I I like people to break it down for me. Um, So it's nice to just turn to that chapter and be like, okay, this is the current research about this. And you know, and that's that. But I, in undergrad was very much in this food is the end all cure all. And Yes, food has amazing properties and we've talked about this, but it's not the end all cure all. And there was a reason that Western medicine was developed and created. And um, where was I going with this? Oh, so I had a lot of anxiety and I was like, okay, well, I, I forget what the name of the book was, but it was like, find your calm or keep your calm or something like that. And it was like, these are the foods you need to eat to stay calm. And these are the foods you need to avoid to like avoid anxiety. And then I read a book on, it was like this girl that like, quit sugar. I think it was literally called I quit sugar. And I was like, Oh my God, she's amazing. Look at all the anxiety she's gotten rid of because she doesn't eat sugar and blah, blah, blah. And then I quit sugar. (laughs) Didn't go very well, obviously. And it turned into an eating disorder. So I'm like, was it really? And I had more anxiety than ever because I was, so I was just going to say that I find it so interesting, especially the argument like that these foods cause anxiety. It's like what actually can increase anxiety for stress is one, not eating enough, not feeding your body enough adequate calories, adequate carbohydrates, adequate carb, uh, protein, fat, whatever. But then also stressing about what you shouldn't be eating is far more harmful and detrimental to someone's health and especially their mental health than, you know, not eating certain foods. That was the book. Eat yourself calm. Oh God. (laughs) So now I, you just helped me come up with my new book idea where I'm going to write a book on eating yourself calm, but it's going to be all about eating enough and including all foods. And, you know, cause it's just yes. the most anxious I ever was about food was when I was restricting food mm-hmm. and when I was demonizing food and I couldn't go to a dinner without having to check the menu to make sure that it was approved by myself. And that is what caused more stress and anxiety and panic, not eating carbs. I literally have a 
a vivid memory that I was not fueling my body in the way that it needed to be. And my panic attacks were increasing by the day. Hmm. Multiple panic attacks because my blood sugar was too low. I felt hypoglycemic. And that is what caused the panic, not any specific foods that I was eating. Yes. And you just brought up a thought for me too, where I'm like, and this is totally going off of habituation, but hopefully this is still helpful for you guys. But I would feel so dizzy. And at the time I was very anxious and I was seeing a therapist and it's just so interesting to me. Obviously therapists aren't trained in nutrition, but you would think like that's they would ask, are you eating enough? Especially when all I talked about was how I was obsessed with soul cycle and eating healthy. You're missing one key point. What? Therapists are not immune from diet culture. Mm. And I would say most of the therapists that I've worked with, I love them. I think they're brilliant at what they do. They are still themselves deeply entrenched in diet culture. And what you're describing is actually quite normal to them. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Like, oh, look at you. You're taking care of your health. You're working out obsessively. You love soul cycle. Like, good for you. Mm-hmm. Instead of being like, ooh, this is a major red flag. Like for us, if anyone came to either of us, we would be like, oh, red flag, red flag. Right. But for somebody who is still so deeply entrenched in it, it's normal to them. Yeah. 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 Cause I was feeling dizzy and I'm like, I don't understand why I'm always dizzy. And that was like a big point of anxiety for me because it feels out of control. Same person. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, I, I just don't understand. And a, a lot of it too, was just like very shallow breathing. So I was always anxious, but I'm sure some of it also really had to do. And then I became obsessed with always having a snack on me because my blood yeah. sugar was too yeah. low. It's like, well, why don't you just freaking eat enough? Right. It's just always had to have snacks around because like the fear of getting hungry it was like yep. terrifying. It's so um, insane how similar our anxieties are. <laughs> our anxiety, they're wildly similar. It, it's more so strange, like the fear of getting stuck, the fear of fainting, of like feeling unwell. It, it, mm-hmm. There's just a lot of overlaps. It's very it's strange. Wild. It's wild. Any last thoughts around the topic that we came on, which is, <laughs> I don't think there's ever been a solo talk where we haven't gone completely off track, but Mm-mm. here we are. Yep. Here we are. Hopefully it's all helpful for you guys. I think yes. it's, you know, it, but I don't really like podcasts where they stay on the same topics. I get bored. I agree. So. Anyway. Um, but yeah. So if you leave anything, if you leave this episode with anything, get a pretty new little journal, write down all the foods that you restrict. And, um, you know, it's not the most fun thing to, well, it is fun because you're like, Oh, I get to eat these foods that before this, I was actually just looking up some stuff on habituation. And I saw an article that was like, um, giving yourself permission to eat whatever you want. And on one side, it was like, I can eat whatever I want. And it was like this person, like so excited to be like, Oh my God, I can finally have the ice cream. And then the person on the right was like, it was like new to intuitive eating and then like deep into intuitive eating. And the person on the right was like, I can eat whatever I want, just like standing there normally. It's like not such a big thing. It's like, okay, I can have ice cream. So remembering that it's going to feel very exciting and overwhelming and scary of like, am I going to gain weight? What happens? And um, you'll eventually get to that place where 
with consistency and just keeping up with it and taking care of yourself to a place where it's just like, okay, yeah, that's ice cream. I can have it. Or and not. I'm not sure if you use this word, but the phase that you're describing is what we consider to be like the honeymoon phase. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And just like in romantic relationships, unfortunately, the honeymoon phase doesn't last forever. Yeah. The honeymoon phase with your relationship with food also will not last forever. Yep. And so giving yourself the permission, the self-compassion, the time, And also recognize like you don't have to unlearn all this on your own. You can work with someone like myself, like Lauren, who can hold your hand, support you because this work can feel really scary. And although I worked through all this, it took much longer than I would have liked it to had I had someone who like got it and someone who supported me throughout the process. Yeah. And also it took me a long freaking time, but it was also so half-assed. Like I never fully got to a place of freedom. It was always that, uh, I sat a long time in that like pseudo permission phase where it's like, yeah, I can have those foods, but under certain circumstances. Well, and also the way we describe it with like diet culture is like you have one, if like, imagine there are two boats, one boat is diet culture. One boat is intuitive eating and healing your relationship with food. The way that I heard it described, I think it was on Breathe podcast is you have one foot in each boat. And for a really long time, there is something stopping you from putting your other foot into the intuitive eating boat. And oftentimes it's a fear of weight gain, Mm -hmm. fear of failing again, failing at something else, Mm -hmm. having feeling like you're losing control. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I want to ask, like, what do you think is stopping you from bringing your other foot from the diet culture boat and the dieting and the chronic dieting boat into intuitive eating boat and a peaceful relationship with food in your body? And that foot that's staying stuck in diet culture is probably nine times out of 10 why it's so difficult to do on your own because you don't know how to get away from the fear of weight gain yourself. You don't know how to feel in control around food by yourself. Like you can surely go ahead and, uh, you know, make a list of foods after this and start introducing them. And then that's where a lot of people get stuck where they are. And this, like, this is coming from a very genuine place. I'm not saying come sign up for my program at all, but it's genuinely coming from a place of like, I was there and it was really freaking hard to get that additional foot out. Um, And I wouldn't have been able to do it if I didn't fully adopt, you know, this way of thinking and had to teach it to other people. And, you know, I, I mean, now it's, it's almost like my accountability to stay where I am, even if I do feel a pullback into diet culture. I mean, I have to teach this to other people and I don't want to go back to the life that I used to live. And also it, it helps with that mindset shift. What I find to be so powerful about working with someone like one of us is oftentimes someone's entire world is still entrenched in diet culture. Mm-hmm. Your partner might be your spouse, your coworkers, your family members. So, you know, with so many of my clients, it's such a safe space to be able to unpack and unlearn all of these things that they still are hearing every single day. Mm-hmm. And it can be really hard. So I, I truly think that having some type of support system, whether it's a free Facebook group. It's working with a, like someone like Lauren and I who are trained in this space, finding other people who are going through this process, whatever that looks like for you. It's really important to have some type of built-in community 
to feel supported throughout this process because it is so against the status quo. Mm-hmm. And that's what makes it challenging, especially after you finish a program, why it's so important to keep up with things every single day because you're inundated with all the messages yeah. against what you're doing every single day, unfortunately. And hopefully we're on the up and up, but these things take time. So. Yes. Well, thank you for joining. Please, please write a review. If you like what you're hearing every week, Lauren and I would be so appreciative if you can rate, subscribe, write a review so more people can hear the messaging that we're trying to put out and hopefully try to silence some of the other diety podcasts that are out there. Ugh, seriously. Bye guys. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Food Therapy. If you enjoyed what you heard and want to support our podcast, please subscribe, hit download, and share it with your community. We value your feedback. If you feel inspired, please leave a review. Let us know what you've learned and what you would like to hear next. All information about this episode will be linked in our show notes. New episodes of Food Therapy come out every Sunday, but you can stay connected with Food Therapy all week long by following us on Instagram at foodtherapypod. As a disclaimer, this podcast should not replace therapy or working with a registered dietitian. Thank you again, and we'll see you next week.